go woke and go broke. The She-Hulk is likely and thankfully canceled. We also lost Gary Graham, whose show Alien Nation showed us a path forward and how to get along with one another. everybody this is William Del Pilar and this is the red white and rude and we are back my friends I'm writing solo and will likely write solo for a little while until I find a partner or if as my last startup did I am pulled away to start emphasizing building and running the business more but for now you are stuck with me. So as a reminder, you can check out all our work at grumblingsmedia.com. You can check out the Red, White, and Rude podcast. You can check out our Points on the Board, which is our sports podcast, as well as my podcast of conservative politics, Fired Up, our Libertarian podcast of Free for All, and our interview show, The Big Questions with Big John. You can also find us on YouTube and Rumble under the profile handle grumblings media as well as traditional podcast outlets such as spotify pandora apple and google man i had to think on that one <laughs> so i'm terrible in my notes i got she-hulk canceled or not <laughs> look the she-hulk was one of these characters that was invariably going to be created it just made sense and i want to say the 80s is when it was created. Uh, I used to have the first issue. I used to have the first issue of a lot of comics. I used to have the Frank Miller autographed Elektra, uh, 179, 180, 181, I'll never forget. And I used to have Spider-Man's uh, 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 first Green Goblin appearance, autographed. Now, my mom wanting to make me proud, despite the fact I told her after I left the house, mom, do not touch any of my comics, none of them. So. I come home one day. She probably gives me about $800. Oh, I saw a bunch of them. Boy, I, I, to this day, I, I will never forgive her. I love my mom. God bless her. But I will never forgive her for a measly $800 to what was probably at least $5,000 worth of comics. You know, oh, my God. Born-born moms that aren't American just have no clue on American thought process. And her being a poor Panamanian has no clue about me being a comic collector when I was a young kid. <laughs> Man, I still get bitter. But anyway, back to the She-Hulk. The overview of this topic is that Tatiana Maslany shared what she and her fans view as disheartening news during an interview on Codenames Live, which is a podcast, where she gave less than hopeful information on the series' future. Look, the budget was too high and the viewers were too low. <sighs> Conceptually, the show was called She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And it was supposed to be more about the She-Hulk in the courtroom. It was supposed to be a bit of a comedy that parodied legal shows, legal dramas. You know, you had your classic superhero antics and they broke down the fourth wall. It was a feminist show from the get-go. How someone has to deal with the double standards of being a female superhero slash being a female. It was adapted for streaming by Jessica Gao, written and directed by women, 
but I got a bone to pick here. They're calling Jessica Gow the creator. You know, they call Alan Barr the creator of True Blood. They, 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 they what they do with these, what Hollywood does, which is, which is disgusting, disgusting. And the authors that allow it, they're disgusting too because they're selling out for money. But they allow these people to go created by when well, they didn't create the show they're adapting the show for television i would never have my works to be seen as created i kill the mother bleeper you know you try to take the credit for something i created i would never take credit for something that somebody created uh but hollywood makes a practice out of it yeah so that really does bug me but i digress <laughs> the real key here this was an all-woman show and yet none of those women had any experience in writing courtroom dramas or, or storylines that dealt with the courtroom. So the whole emphasis of the show to be a courtroom comedic drama was out the window from the get-go. Again, it stars Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters, the She-Hulk. Walters is a defense attorney who becomes a She-Hulk after an accident involving her cousin, Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk. Tatiana's character, Jennifer Walters, is a cousin of Bruce Banner. She transforms into the She-Hulk, uh, uh, herself following the car crash, and Banner's gamma-irradiated blood gets into an open wound on her skin during the accident. You know, it's kind of funny, superhero comics. You always take the leaf in real life. Uh, that stuff kills you. <laughs> uh, and obviously, Walter prefers being a lawyer over being a superhero. You know, it's very unrealistic. If you have all these powers, you're going to want to be a superhero. It's just human nature. So Hollywood, just it, it's a line from the get-go here. And they can't even do the show right. It's all women. Nobody with any legal room or, or, or a writing experience in courtroom. So the show got off on the wrong foot. I think the gods were saying, I think Odin was probably saying something here. I don't think your show is going to work. Oh, uh, and it was woke. And its viewership likely reflected that. Great reviews by other woke, ignorant, stupid people. In fact, in Walter's bookshelf, you know, on the show, she has left-wing paraphernalia, including bobbleheads Ruth Bader, who we now know was a full-blown racist. And Michelle, the linebacker Obama. I just like saying she's a linebacker because that seems to really get uh, the, the Obama cultists in, in an uproar. Hey, my uh, partner, Big John, doesn't like it when they call her a linebacker. That, that's the impression I got. But boy, man, she could take me. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys could have used her against the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> As could have the Ravens defense against the Kansas City Chiefs. Woo! Oh, man. So, one of the things they made about this show was her emotions. She's able to control her emotions much better than Bruce. Why? Because her whole life has been one brutal beatdown about her being a woman, her having to survive as a woman, to succeed as a woman. Oh, woe is me for being a woman. And that's what makes her better able to handle her emotions. Are you people high? I grew up with three sisters, a mama and an aunt. Well, my dad was in Vietnam fighting. Are you kidding me? Ooh, reality check. Yes, and I'm going to say it. I stayed away from my sisters, from all the women I could. Innately, I learned 
They were going through something. Even as a kid, I didn't understand what they were going through, but it was their time of the month. As a man, I stayed away. So don't tell me about women handling emotions better than men. Come on. I mean, it's another Hollywood stereotypical lie. Her anger is the fault of men. Oh, my God, these evil men. Jed's portrayal of women's daily struggles is supposed to resonate with women. And it does. Women I call feminazis. <coughs> she must control her anger and fear despite triggering men and situations. She can't get higher because she's too high profile. <laughs> and now she's the Hulk. Are you kidding me? The She-Hulk lawyer for hire firms will be breaking her doors down to hire her. <laughs> and then the issue is they don't want me, Jen Walters. They want the She-Hulk. Of course, the She-Hulk is a superhero, you idiot. Oh, my God. So in, in essence, women navigate the world full of unnecessary obstacles and judgments that are put in front of them by men, by evil, vile men who they view as the real problems for women, as they view as the real problems for She-Hulk, attorneys at law. It's always men. And they wonder why young boys probably didn't watch this. Because at the end of the day, your core audience with superheroes are, are, are boys and not adult men. You know, I, I have not seen the last four, five, six, seven, eight superhero movies. And there was a time in my life that would have been deemed impossible. You just outgrow this crap, especially when it's bad writing. <laughs> oh, I read an article with one feminist. She didn't even like the fact that the She-Hulk couldn't name herself. Why would she give me the name She-Hulk? Well, because... She got her powers from the Hulk, and her pronoun is she. <laughs> Look, feminists have gone mad in dealing with issues they see as problematic for them. The writer doesn't like the fact a story is penned that could also tie her romantically to a villain. Oh, my God. James Bond, she is not. James Bond would sleep with anything as long as it was hot. <laughs> We don't discriminate like a feminazi does. <laughs> the show also wanted men to look vile. Look, it's clear from the opening scene of the premiere of a character named Dennis who dated a fake Megan the Stallion who ripped them off is a selfish, privileged little man with no regard for women. As a She-Hulk mocks Dennis, she laughs at his unearned sense of entitlement. So from the get-go, they alienate their audience. You know, your core audience are going to be boys and young men, and you alienate them from the get-go. There aren't enough women who love the superhero world to carry the show. It's kind of like when I, I got an argument. I didn't get an argument. It was a quick conversation because I was one of the few who actually stood my ground. We we're talking about Obama's elections. And I said, yeah, if it wasn't for white Americans, you wouldn't have Obama. He said, that's racist. I go, really? How is it? How many blacks voted for Obama versus whites, and what was the winning number? in terms of how many votes he got. And then he just got mad in anger. He was a friend of mine, so I mean, we weren't gonna come to blows, but at the end of the day, I stood my ground and go, no, a fact is not racist, you know? In terms of the She-Hulk, the feminazis just wanna make all men look bad, you know? Having a woke leading actress like Tatiana Maslany 
doesn't also help. You know, when you're promoting the show, wearing support trans futures may not be the brightest thing to do. Why? Not because I don't care for or I care for trans. That's not irrelevant. I actually have, well, she used to be a friend. Now we, I loathe her, but not because she's trans. It's because of the person she is. But you're not helping your show succeed, and that's your job. Your job isn't to be political while you're on the show time in terms of promoting a show. So, of course, you turn people off. It's like Michael Jordan. <clears throat> he doesn't alienate anybody because he knows both sides by their product. Smart people do that. In this woke Hollywood, they will slit their own throat to win a few extra fans and then lose their livelihood. And they blame us. Yeah, they support a show. I'm not going to support a, folk, a woke feminazi show. What else can you say screams woke by wearing support trans futures to protest Florida's parents' rights in education law? What? She's completely wrong. And, and, but then again, most Hollywood stars aren't the brightest. They're good looking. You know, they got the casting couch for a lot of the women to move on. Ah, don't believe me. Harvey Weinstein and Oprah and everybody knew what was happening there. That's Hollywood. You know, so the hypocrisy coming from these people is beyond words at times. So with the show not being officially canceled, but being on the back burner, and in a way, this is, I learned this about one of my shows that I used to love. I can't remember which show. It was probably another sci-fi show. In fact, it was a sci-fi show. Uh, they cut loose the actors from the contracts to be able to seek future work. So even though they hadn't officially canceled the show, in all intents and purposes, they had once they released the actors. You know, saying, hey, go find your own work. We haven't officially canceled, but go find your own work. And theoretically, they find work, they're not going to be able to come back to the show. So it's just another woke show in limbo. My favorite Marvel show on Disney+, Plus, which I am forced to get. I had no choice. One day, I got an email stating, we are adding this fan plus and Disney plus to you, but we're only charging you $5.99 a month. And then they came out with their uh, quarterly earnings or, you know, their Wall Street speech they had to give, and they lied and said, we've got this many more millions of viewers on ESPN Plus, you know, because they're pushing ESPN because it's a dying network. And they were counting me as one. That was, you know, so that, that was, it, it, it was a strategic ploy. But I have watched Disney. I can't remember the last time I watched it. And here's the other thing about, about shows you loved as a kid. Don't go back to them as an adult. You will be sorely disappointed. You know, there's something magical about being a child and watching these shows and then being an adult and seeing them go, oh, God, that sucks. <laughs> you know? I, Man from Atlantis, it's on Tubi. And I was watching it. This is some months back. And I loved this as a kid. I couldn't understand why the comic got canceled, why the show got canceled. You know, uh, and then when I saw it on TV, got all excited. I, I ordered the books, the old paperbacks. It's all terrible. I mean, just terrible storylines, terrible writing. The acting was average at best, poorly written character, which is all. And it was one of the most expensive shows on television at the time, Man from Atlantis. Never go back. And Disney's the same way. But back in Disney, the She Hope, or She Hope as I heard some people say. Uh, it's just another woke show in limbo now. Look, they got Moon Knight, which is my favorite Marvel show that I've seen out of those. And I haven't even seen them all. I've just given up. Ms. Marvel, The Eternals, and Shang-Chi are also terrible or woke. And now they have to figure out how to use them while trying to maintain a woke agenda or just put them in limbo. And it looks like they've chosen to put some of these characters and shows in limbo. 
So let's get down to the potential reasons for cancellation. You know, on Rotten Tomatoes, it had a pretty decent approval. It stands at 77%. However, reviews by the woke to promote their shows doesn't translate into viewers watching the show. You know, I mean, Ms. Marvel, which was a catastrophic bomb. You know, the Blue Beetle, a catastrophic bomb. Those were woke shows that were applauded by Hollywood, that were praised by Hollywood, that reviewers went on and wrote glowing reviews. Odds are they probably never even saw it, but that tends to happen. So that's a big reason for their 77% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, the show is extremely expensive. One problem with the Marvel Comics universe is the cost of doing a weekly show or series because you're talking superheroes. So you're talking CGI. Now, you combine CGI and trying to keep costs down, your CGI may be shaky. You, you add woke writing to that, that's a recipe for failure, which is what we have here. <laughs> Look, this, the main character, obviously the She-Hulk, every time they did her up, it was CGI. Then early on, they had an abomination on CGI. Yeah. And one of the requests for uh, Disney was uh, uh, for the producers, the writers was be minimal on Jennifer Watchers being in She-Hulk form. Like only user in She-Hulk form when absolutely necessary. So in essence, what they were trying to do is create a show and at the very end, uh, you have her come in for her a couple of minutes, kind of like Ultraman. You used to love Ultraman. Ultraman's like an iconic character out of Japan. Or the Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno or Bill Bixby. You, know, you only saw the, the heroes come out at the end because it was costly, you know? And do Lou Ferrigno up, get the eyes done. Ultraman, you know, gives a little light. <laughs> so they were looking for the same formula with Jennifer Rogers. I find that kind of cheap as a show, but I understand the necessity for it. The CGI was pretty rough and amateurish looking. You know, I'm not as harsh on CGI as most people, so I will look past that. I understand. And to me, this is for kids, you know? Uh, so it doesn't have to be the state-of-the-art Avengers-like. So I'm pretty forgiving on that. What I'm not forgiving on is $25 million per show. That seems way over the top, and it seems like you could have half that on a cost. It seems like, like they just had an open bank account and didn't say anything, you know? <sighs> now... That's one reason given for the show being canceled. And it was probably the ultimate decision-making reason, but that's not why it got canceled. It got canceled because it didn't have viewers. People weren't watching it. And the cost of the show with minimal viewership, that, that, that's your, your ingredient for you're done. The real reason, the show was an FU to the franchise's male fans. The audience chose to ignore the show. Once they realize it's not something I can relate to. And I'm a fan who once owned She-Hope number one. <laughs> and I, you know, I wasn't going to waste my show on uh, my time on this show because it was so woke, you know. Uh, and despite being woke, feminist trash, women didn't watch it either. So they really had no demographic except for the woke and how many woke people are actually paying for stuff. Those are the ones streaming, going to these bad uh, URLs to go catch everything for free. I, I, I know some woke people. I know conservatives like that too. 
<sighs> so per Variety, She-Hulk's underwhelming visual effects were due to Marvel Studios' unsuitable production processes for TV. That included unfinished visual effects, despite a $25 million per episode episodic cost. Variety's trying to say, man, visual effects is what doomed the show. No, bad writing, bad acting is what doomed it. Visual effects, unless you're truly that bad, <laughs> you know, like, like 1970s bad, 1930s Flash Gordon uh, serial bad, you know, nobody's really going to care. They're going to care, but it's not going to care enough to affect them from watching or not watching the show. So, so writing just giving excuses. At the end of the day, again, let me reiterate, it was an FU to the franchise's male fans. So we chose not to watch it. It was woke feminist trash that got no audience. And that is why Disney is struggling today and will continue to struggle. If you put out quality shows, and when I say quality, I'm not talking Oscar drama worthy, just fun entertainment television. Your audience will come. People forget movies were created at the time. Well, I mean, they were going to be created regardless because of technology, but they came at a time during the Depression. They were there for entertainment purposes. I got in an argument with one of my film professors who threaded my grade. I was a, uh, I forget there's a term for people like me who leave the military and go back to school. I can't remember, but that's what I was. So I wasn't a 21 year old, 18 to 21 year old kid. I was a 28 year old young man who had lived life, been in life and death situations, been to various countries. Her and I had a few words and I got an A in the class. It wasn't, I didn't threaten her. I didn't say anything. I just stood up to her. And I said, we have a problem here. You're not going to threaten my grade because I disagree with you. She got angry because I said uh, Bullets Over Broadway or something like that. A Woody Allen flick was kind of boring. And it was. It was a boring Woody Allen flick. I mean, give me Crimes and Misdemeanors. To me, that's one of Woody Allen's greatest movies. you know. But this was boring. And she took offense to that. How dare you? How dare you, William, talk about a pedophile like Woody Allen like that? <laughs> You know, I had a few run-ins with professors. I was just, uh, I may be 5'7 and Latino. You know, we're, we're not the biggest people, but I would not back down when I was in the righteous right. You know, that's how I viewed it. I was like, no, 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 no. You are not going to treat me like, like a piece of trash and a piece of garbage. Anyway, I'm digressing. The point is, is movies and television shows are supposed to entertain you first, then send their message second. And we're going to talk about a show that does just that. We're going to talk about Gary Graham, an actor who most of you probably don't know. Born in 1950, passed away in 2023, 73 years old. Gary uh, Graham was a star of Alien Nation and the Alien Nation television movies, which there were five of, as well as Star Trek Enterprise. So he had his own little sci-fi resume there so i am guessing but he was probably pretty popular at conventions and these sci-fi shows man you can make a killing doing doing conventions i mean the smallville stars the the guy who played lex luther and the guy who played uh, uh uh clark kent i mean they're making a killing doing the uh, smallville circuit doing a smallville podcast sci-fi shows tend to get a cult following i am a big alienation fan i find shows that not only if they're entertaining, that catches my attention. But when they're uh, 
also passing the message on in a positive manner. You don't realize it, but that's what kind of draws you in to fall in love with the show. As far as Gary Graham, he was born in Long Beach, California in 1950. He made his acting debut in 1975. So I would sit there and say most of our audience has no clue who he is. Most of my audience thinks I'm a young-looking, good-looking man in my 30s. They don't realize I'm an old man. <laughs> I had good genes. But... So he made his acting debut in 1975 with Lost on Paradise Island. I don't even remember what that was. His first credited role came in 1976 when he appeared in an episode of The Quest. It was a Western series starring Kurt Russell and Tim Matheson. I don't remember that show. Odds are both those shows came and went. Look, in when you have three networks and PBS, if your show averaged 12, to 12 million, 16 million, which to, today will get you a $40 million five-year contract if you're the lead actor of that show. Back then, it got you canceled. You know, shows back then, you had to do uh, 12, 60 million. You're like, eh, gonna get canceled. I remember we're a country of 300 million at the time, 250, 300 million at the time. Now we are a much bigger country, but we are so fragmented and television is so bad, the writing's so bad, people are doing other things. Yeah. So Gary Graham landed a series of television roles on Eight is Enough, popular show of the 70s. We all knew that. Starsky and Hutch, which they remade into a, a movie with two terrible actors in terms, you know, Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller aren't exactly what you call the Marble Man look. <laughs> then he, uh, he was also on Knots at Landing, The Dukes of Hazard, and Moonlighting. So he did his guest star roles on some of the biggest shows of their time. So it's not like he was a, an actor that was one and done. In television, he did Alienation, which was a show that uh, uh, portrayed a lost, he portrayed a Los Angeles police officer who reluctantly works with an individual, an alien, who they call newcomers. And the alien's name was Sam George Francisco. Sam Francisco. <laughs> George Francisco. He was played by Eric Pierpoint. On the side note, all the actors from this show, I've never really seen them anywhere else, including uh, Gary Graham. He did, I saw him in a few things after that, uh, but it was a big shocker because it was a name out of the blue when I saw that he passed. And I was like, oh, wow. I had to think for a second. I was like, oh, my God, is that Gary Graham from Alienation? So, so it was a show that at its time was popular, but once the show ended, the actors really didn't do much with themselves afterwards. And that's just how Hollywood works. Look, people love to make fun of those one-hit wonders. And that, that really aggravates me. And I've done that too. You know I mean? But it aggravates me because do you know how hard it is to have a number one hit in this country that transcends culture, color, transcends everything, and reaches the masses? Man, back in the 70s, you had a number one hit, man. You were set for life. Same thing with television, with the residuals. So, and, and it's a doggy dog world. So the fact that you're able to have achieved the fame and fortune that you saw, even four, five, six, seven years, that's more better than the average person. And, and if you did it with a song, a one-hit wonder, who cares? Your song's going to be remembered. You know, Joe Schmuckatelli had three albums. You know, is likely not. <laughs> so anyway, so Gary Graham, his big break was alienation. He, his character was Detective Matthew Sykes, and it lasted only one season, but it had five TV movies. Now, George, Gary, I'm sorry, George, Gary Graham also was on Star Trek Enterprise. He portrayed Ambassador Sobal from 20, 
2001 to 2005, he appeared in 12 episodes. It's funny. I can't remember what show I, I watched, but there's a show I watched with a character, and he's on there, what I thought was a lot, but after the 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 the, the five or six year run, I realized it was only six or seven times. But he was on once a season or, or, or integral to a certain storyline. Frazier has a lot of characters like that. You know, his ex-wife Lilith was only on, I don't know, I want to say six times six, ten times, maybe a dozen, uh, no, not a dozen, but it was enough to where you viewed her as a semi-character, but in reality, it's just good writing, made you realize she was part of the world, even though you didn't see her for most of the time. That was his role in Star Trek Enterprise. Other TV credits were Mantis, I remember Mantis, that came and went, Jag, Jag is still alive today, because it, it is the forefather to NCIS and all those shows, and he was also on the Universal Day, which I had no clue whether it's probably a TV movie or something. I don't know. Guest starred on Ally McBeal, Nip Tuck, Renegades, and work-related, among other shows. As far as films, The Spy Within, The Last Warrior, The Arrogant, All the Right Moves, the Tom Cruise movie, Robot Jocks, that's where I saw him after Alienation. He starred in that, and he was in Steel, the quickly forgotten Shaq movie. You know, his daughter wrote a very poignant uh, write-up on him. Uh, where I learned he was a multi-instrument musician. He was a patriot, and he honored this country. He loved God with every bit of his heart, per her words. He couldn't wait to meet Jesus someday, is what she said. Won't it be so wonderful? He asked me last year when we discussed eternity. And that was on her Facebook page. Uh, and sh she was his daughter from his first marriage. And there were both statements from his two wives, his first and second wife, and they're very kind words. So that leads me to believe, or at least hope, it was a, an amicable uh, relationship after it had run its course. And she says he was creatively, creatively ambitious, and he was. He was. He acted in her 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 short. She did a short, and it appeared he was still working on something. So. Despite the fact that he passed away at 73, he was still living life large. You know, he was still looking at it from a perspective of, I got something to contribute. And ironically, that's how I view it myself. You know, I'm not a young man anymore, neither. You know, his wife, uh, nearly 25 years, Becky Graham, told The Hollywood Reporter that he passed from cardiac arrest. He was 73. You know, the first question when I mentioned it to my wife was, he passed? I said, you know, because I had an attachment to this man and the show he did, even though I didn't know him, I was like, why does it matter? Uh, but yes, it does. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to honor the man. Uh, God rest his soul and much love and respect as he has begun his now new journey. It does bring up one thing, though, that I always talk about and I always remind my friends and, and you, my listeners. Fame is fleeting. It's very fleeting. I mean, listen to this, quick. Who is Clancy Brown? He's a villain in Highlander, 1980s, 90s. Who's Billy Baldwin? Well, most people say Baldwin brother, but you can't picture him. He's a forgotten brother of Alice Baldwin who had flop after flop after flop in the 90s. Who's Fred Savage? Oh, you probably don't recognize or remember him as an adult, but he was star of the original version of The Wonder Years, the one that actually had many good, funny episodes and wasn't trying to make a statement. Who is Tommy Rattini? I don't know who this guy was, but I know him when I see the picture. He was a star of Lassie, 1950s. There was an argument every, he, I could not walk anywhere without being mobbed. Richard Grieco, 
Johnny Depp's replacement in 21 Jump Street and the women also. And I remember that was my uh, a kid years. Ah, the girls loved him. That was the 90s. Tom Scare. If you see him, you'll recognize him. But you say his name, most people have no clue, especially today's generations. I think he's still alive, but Barry, you know, I mean, he was from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He was in the original MASH movie. Joe Beth Williams, great character actress from the 70s and 80s. She was in Poltergeist and Kramer vs. Kramer. David Patrick Kelly. He's the type of facial I would always recognize. I didn't realize his name. He was in the Warriors of 48 Hours from the 80s. You see him now as an older guy. He's still acting. You don't even recognize him. And one of my most favorite actors, but was a dirtbag of a human being, Errol Flynn, played Robin Hood. It's one of the few films from the 30s that has transcended time, and you still see a lot on television. He was from the golden age of Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. So it really is fleeting. You know, there are some stars I didn't mention, Cary Grant, uh, you know, those types of stars who were as big as Tom Cruise is today. They're forgotten. You know, that just happens. So live your life, love your friends, your family, and understand you can go at any time. I have come to the understanding that if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with it, especially the way this world's going. But I've made my mark, and if once I'm dead, who cares? I'm going to be on another adventure. What that adventure is? Nobody actually knows until we die. People pretend they, they know. People will tell you they know. But until we actually die, we don't. And I'm not saying I'm looking forward to it, but I'm ready for that. You know, as young as I still am. Uh, I lived a great life. Man, 30 some odd countries, traveled the world. I've been in life death situations. I've been in party situations. You know, I, 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 I've had my share of lust and fun. I've had my share of experimentation. I've, I've lived a life I am not ashamed of, not proud of, just happy I lived it because I experienced life. Life is a journey, so make it an adventure. And I suspect Gary Graham did just that. He lived the American dream. Never forget, fame is elusive. The shelf life is limited. Some names are remembered for centuries, for, 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 for millennia. Julius Caesar, Tilda the Hunt, William Shakespeare. You know, I just read an article that some people don't believe William Shakespeare was real, which is a pen name. Who knows? But very few we remember today. In a few decades, most will be forgotten even by those who knew them. The fact that Gary Graham achieved and lived his dream is a testament to America and the opportunities it gives us. Never forget that, especially if you're black, Latino, Indian, Asian, or whatever. And by Indian, before you, people are like, Native American. I'm talking about Indian, Indians from India. But Native Americans too. Now, why am I talking about Gary Graham? Why am I honoring him? despite the fact he wasn't a big star. It's because his show was a show that was ahead of its time, culturally. This was his first regular role in the series. It was Alien Nation franchise. It began as a 1988 film starring Terrence Stamp, Mandy Patinkin. Uh, that guy, Mandy Patinkin, is a pathetic, disgusting excuse of a human being. Hardcore leftist, so detached from reality, living in his gated community, his ivory towers, but then telling all us Latinos and Blacks, this is what's happening to y'all people. God, I know them. Great actor, though. <laughs> Great actor. I always give people their due. I respect Democrats, even though I loathe them and in many cases hate them for the hate and tribalism they, uh, they create. But I admire their ability to take their opponent, put their foot on a Republican, and just snap that neck and put that Republican in line. They're good at that. So Terrence Stamp, Mandy Patinkin, 
and the late great James Caan of the Godfather fame. The film had a cult following and it inspired several spin-offs, including the Alien Nation television series. It also had comic books, novels. Yeah, comic books and novels and the the the, the television series. I, I'm 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 saying as if there's more to add, but that, that was about it. But still, that's a lot. Most TV movies, they come and go. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I mean, remember the Lone Ranger movie? Came out with Johnny Depp some years back. They they had a whole shebang plan, a lot, lot planned with that movie thing. Nothing happened. So the fact that this was a moderate hit movie it wasn't a, a big blockbuster. It was a moderate hit. The fact that it developed a cult following is amazing unto itself. So Fox developed it into a sci-fi series. Look in Alien Nation again. Gary Graham plays a human detective who works with an extraterrestrial newcomer. That's what they call the extraterrestrials, newcomers, and they solve crimes. Specifically, he's reluctant to work with the newcomer. Again, Sam Francisco. I love that. Played by Eric Pierpoint. Uh, Matthew Sykes. Gary Graham's character was also in an inner relationship, inner relationship, relationship with a newcomer played by, uh, uh, I don't know if it was Kathy Franco was her name or that she played her, I can't remember, but he was the human, she was the newcomer. They came to earth because an overseer race called the Democrats, where they lived on the Democratic plant. Oh, I'm sorry, that that's here. <laughs> they came to earth uh, fleeing a cruel overseer race and it, it forced them, the Tectonese, to escape from slavery. And, and so in essence, we were harboring uh, 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 illegal aliens, literally. <laughs> They're humanoid, but they have specific anatom anatomical differences and are bred with greater strength and intelligence. So the television versus the film adaption. Y'all don't know this name. Again, famous fleeting. Kenneth Johnson was one of the biggest names in the 70s and 80s, as was Stephen J. Cannell. You know, now there's different names, but these are the types of people who get these big contracts and develop television shows. And he, he was a big wig at the time. He'd been responsible for science fiction TV, like the Six Million Dollar Man, V. There was a, a miniseries called V, hugely popular. The Incredible Hulk, and he was approached to make a television adaption of the 1998 film Alienation. So Kenneth Johnson explains this in an April 2nd, 2008 episode of Fanboy Radio, so a podcast, episode number 463. So he says the film left him unimpressed, except for a scene when the suburban husband and child George, who is a newcomer in the movie, leaves the suburban home to go to work. So he saw that and he came up with a completely different concept to adapt it for television. Whereas NBC envisioned a weekly site. Was it NBC? I got NBC in my notes, but it was a Fox show. But uh, maybe NBC were the ones who were going to adapt it uh, uh, previously. But they envisioned, the, the television gods, the, the executives, television executives envisioned a weekly science fiction version of Lethal Weapon. You see that, buddy? cop buddy film, you know, Danny Glover being black, uh, uh, Mel Gibson being white, Mel Gibson being the, 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 the nut job, Danny Glover being the family guy. Uh, remember the old line, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, so that's kind of what they envisioned, a buddy buddy. 
Kenneth Johnson's version was more of Heat of the Night. Now, for those who don't know Heat of the Night, Heat of the Night is a 1967 American neo-noir mystery, which stars Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier. It follows Virgil Tibbs, Poitier's character, a black police detective from Philadelphia who gets involved in a murder investigation in Mississippi. And the movie is adapted from a 1965 novel by John Bob. Most of this is on Wikipedia if you're interested. It, it's a classic movie. It's well worth watching. And uh, uh, in its time, it, it, it broke a lot of barriers. It was about a black detective visiting the South. He's accused of murder, but stays on to help a sheriff who has racist tendencies solve the case. It was a commentary on racial tensions at the time in the South. What people lie about, what Hollywood has always lied is those same tensions were in the North. We've, we've created the, the biggest lie in the world because I've been to the North and lived in the South, had relatives in the North, and there is just as much racism in, in every urban environment as there is in the South. When I was delivering uh, uh, my friend's minivan who was moving to Hawaii from the military, it was in Compton. I, I dropped it off to his uncle in Compton. My friend is biracial. I, actually, I always assumed he was biracial. I know he's, he, he's got black in him, and, and but his claim to fame is, ah, oh, sorry, Puerto Rican. He's a Puerto Rican, very proud of that. And I didn't care. I never got into, hey, man, where's the black in your family? I, I didn't care. Ray was a friend. We were like family. You know, this was years later after we grew up. We were men. We were living our lives. He called me up, asked for a favor. I said, sure. So as I get to Compton, as I drop it off, I'm going, so what's the quickest way? The uncle was very, very, very stressful on this point. Follow my directions. You do not want to get caught in Compton with your skin color. They don't, they don't know you're Latino, and they don't care. They will just beat your ass. You know, so don't tell me that this racism was only in the South. It's everywhere. There was a place right next to the junior high I went to called Hollywood Heights. If you were white, you were told, don't go in there. You know, so there's racism everywhere. So just to clear up the lie that Hollywood always portrays. And Ferguson, there was no hate until the outsiders were the Ferguson. In South Carolina, when that racist uh, shot the, the 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 black kid. There was no rape. There was no riots or nothing. The church is a strong component, and if you go to any church in the South, you, I can tell you firsthand. You know, having been brought up, being dragged to every church from a fundamentalist mom, it's a complete mixture of white and black and Latinos in the area we were in. So uh, the South is very forgiving, very giving, very kind to one another. It's a big mother bleeping lie what Hollywood tries to, to portray because I see more racism in New York City, in Los Angeles, in Chicago than I ever have in the South. Yeah. Now, does that mean racism doesn't exist? Oh, yeah. I've seen racism in the South. I've seen them in some of those small towns. So, yes, there's truth to that, but not like Hollywood portrays it. That's the exception, not the norm. So, anyway, so back to Heat of the Night. So, Kenneth Johnson took the social commentary from that movie, uh, 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 and remember, the movie, in essence, is a commentary of racial tensions at the time. He took that situation, that type of storylines, and put it into Alienation, the series. The aliens were the new minority that appeared overnight. 
and how America, how humans interacted. And I love this because it transcended color. Because again, I've seen black racism, I've seen black supremacists, I've seen Asian supremacists a lot more than I've seen black or white supremacists, but I've seen them across the spectrum. So when I see these tribal warfare, I'm like, all y'all are racist. Y'all be pretending you're not racist, but yet you are. Again, man, William, by law, blacks can't be racist. Oh, really? Well, they would have beat my ass in Compton and in Hollywood Heights. That's power. It's just relative to your situation. So yes, racism is top hate. And that's what made alienation so great. You weren't looking at it from a Latino perspective, from a white perspective, from a black perspective. You were looking at it from a human perspective. And that is the one of the best ways to deliver a message. And I love to show it. And I didn't realize until I was an adult because this helped formulate who I am at my core. I loved it because in the aliens, I saw my family, my brown family. I saw my mom. My mom was mistreated by you American, white, blacks, and Asians. That, again, that's another reason I know hatred and racism is in every culture. My mom is not educated. My mom was a factory worker, but God bless her. If not for my mom, my master's, my master's degree and would not have her master's, would not be educated and would not be living a middle-class life versus the poverty she came from. If not for that uneducated, broken English, doesn't read or write English, mother of mine. You know, so I saw, that's what I, I didn't realize it at the time why I, I, these shows would get to me, why I loved them, why uh, I would have deep feelings about it. It's because watching my mother, my mother, who God bless her, I don't have the best of relationship, but I love her like no other. I don't have the best relationship because she's a fundamentalist. <laughs> you know, we're always, bah, 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 but I love her with all my heart. She has shaped my life more than she'll ever realize. If, that, if there's any hurt I have, if she doesn't realize how much she's meant to me in becoming the man I become to stick up for others, to not be afraid to voice my opinion, despite the pushback I'll get in my pursuit of fairness and equality for everybody, whether you're white, black, Asian, Latino, whatever. So to reiterate, Johnson's social commentary show them what happens when a new minority appears overnight, an alien minority, extraterrestrial. Again, Aliens are a substitute for minorities, not just blacks, but just all minorities. So their their culture is very central to the series, ranging from childbirth, the religion, the family, their own history, and no different than any human, they're longing to go home to their own planet. So this created a different way to explore social issues, including immigration. <laughs> I just love the fact they are literally illegal aliens, which is a term I use. I don't humanize illegalities. They are illegal aliens entering America. And I'm Latino. Oh, you're a betrayer of your people. Go screw yourself. Betrayer of my people. <laughs> if that was the case, you know, uh, why are Latinos fighting Latinos? Why do Indians fight Indians? Why do blacks fight blacks? White fight black whites, etc., etc. No, no, no. So again, Sykes is in an interracial relationship with an alien, so they have their own storylines. So newcomers not only represent the new discriminated class, but they also play the role of sexual minorities, meaning uh, uh, gays and lesbians are a minority uh, within our country of minorities, and that's how the newcomers were seen as well. 
Now, there was a term in my research that I could not understand called invert conventional expectation, which means, for example, George, the male, becomes pregnant. The male of the species carries a fetus for part of its gestation. It's funny because in the line, I think he says to his wife, to the one, you would just never know what it feels to have to give birth or something like that. So it was funny in its own moment. That's what made it relatable. It was a social commentary too. The series demonstrates what it means to be human and our own rituals that we go through that they can't understand. That's always the funny part. The same thing I mentioned in the show called Man from Atlantis. Part of his character makeup was he didn't always understand the nuances of we humans. And the show works because today's tribalism is a rewrite of history and cultural beliefs and fake science that blames everything from genetics to culture on white supremacists. It's all garbage today. So a show like this would work today to show ugly truths. Again, there are plenty of black supremacists out there. There are plenty of white supremacists out there. There are plenty of, I would assume, Latino supremacists. I've never run across a Latino supremacist, to be quite honest. I've run across Latinos who hate other cultures. So I've heard many Latinos go off on the N-word. I've heard many Latinos go off on white. You know, But as far as my issue right now, it's with black supremacists such as Jamil Hill, Al Sharpton, Bomani Jones, and too many others to mention who are purposely trying to create tribalism and get us to hate one another. That's a big reason I'm in the political battles. But yeah, I'll go down and throw down with the white supremacists as well uh, as, as any other supremacists. You know? And again, this is why I was drawn to this show. It showed our bad our bad traits from a human standpoint, meaning it wasn't whites or blacks or Latinos. It was we as humans who carry these bad traits, which uh, if you didn't understand me, that's what I meant by the show will work today. It would show all these people who say it's a gene. It's in, our, it's, in, it's in the white man's blood that they're bad. You know, it's just utter lying nonsense. It's the same type of lies whites would talk about blacks back in the 1700s, 1800s, and 1900s, you know? Now, blacks are trying to use it on whites. Nothing good is gonna come out of this, my friends. That's a fair warning. And that's why I'm so fearful in many ways. So the storyline shows how it can be done versus what we're seeing today. Whether, again, a black supremacist or a nationalist, a white nationalist, you know, uh, it shows these bad traits are based more on human nature and it's top hate in all cultures. I saw, uh, 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 I have seen firsthand young white kids who hate blacks and I, I see it as a direct reflection of the parents. I've also seen it with blacks. There was a great video and I say great because it epitomizes the truth. This little two year old black girl just railing on this white cop, hating him one because he's cop because he's white. That's top. That little girl didn't, was, was that little girl was not born believing that. She was taught that. It's called indoctrination. Yeah. So the overall point of the show was to show us Sykes' growth, accepting not only his alien partner, but his family, their culture, and them as people. Now, the show kind of showed him as already accepting it, so it took a leap of faith from James Kahn's role of not wanting to work with him. And technically, in the, in the series itself early on, 
he was having issues, but it quickly glossed over that and it became tight. It became them against the bad humans. And I got it because I saw all those negative traits in all cultures. And I didn't realize that's why I loved the show, but that is why I loved it. It showed humanity and all our bio traits being put on aliens and taking them out on aliens, not one culture to another. Now, people say, well, that's fake. That's not how it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Again, I can't walk into Compton. I'll get killed. I can't walk into Hollywood Heights. I get killed. Hell, I can't walk in certain parts of Panama because I am so light-skinned, my relatives wouldn't trust the Panamanians who would sit there and, and properly see me as an American, but not realize I'm Panamanian. You know? So it's in every culture. So again, the show was about Sykes' growth, accepting his alien partner as a friend, as well as his family, and having empathy and compassion for George, his family, and the newcomers. The show was canceled after one season, despite being a rating success. It ran from 1989 to 1999. It was devastating, you know. It's one of the shows I loved. And remember, back then it was just VCR, you know, and I didn't have a VCR, so I had to make sure I was home on time to watch that show. Uh, it was one of the few successes for, at the time, what was a fledgling Fox network. But the network was struggling with revenue. So the show was popular. It got the numbers. People were watching. The problem was Fox did not have the advertising base it needed to survive at a level where ABC and NBC was. Hell, at that time, well, no, no, this is past time, but it was the 80s. NBC survived and stayed in business because of the Johnny Carson show. Uh, so that's a completely different tale. But it's just funny how these networks, they, they're at times where they struggle. Uh, financially. So there was a financial shortage caused by lower than expected advertising income. As a result, Fox executives canceled all of their dramatic series from 90 to 91. However, the demand for the show continued. And the other reason I was devastated, it ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> so the producers themselves expected a second season that never came. However, because it, be, it was had a cult following that grew, because it was extremely popular, it led to a television movie adaption called, or television movie called Dark Horizon. And the second season premiere episode was kind of like the movie. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and again, it had a cool following. There were comics, there were books, Dark Horizon movie. Almost four years later, Fox changed management and alienation continued on in five television movies that had the original cast. So even though we didn't get the series afterwards, we still got good movies out of it, movies that kept uh, teaching us about ourselves, kept moving us forward as a race, culturally, as humans. And uh, 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 the first movie was called Alienation Dark Horizon in 94, Alienation Body and Soul in 95, Alienation Millennium 96, Alienation The Enemy Within 96, and Alienation, the Udara legacy in 97. So we got about three to four years worth of movies out of it. So it wasn't, the, I would rather have seen, you know, <laughs> what, 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 100 more shows there, but that wasn't meant to be. Uh, so is there a potential for a reboot? Well, Jeff Nichols, a film director, screenwriter, and producer, was hired for a reboot and stated while the project never came to fruition, he spent four years of his life on it. And as he put it, it was at the one yard line. He had it cast, it was ready to go, but it didn't happen. 
Now, what people don't realize, this was not an alienation storyline. It was a sci-fi storyline that the, the studio wanted to put the alienation title to and make it a, a, a first it was a movie. Then they they talked them into doing a 10, uh, a 10 episode series run before they completely scraped it, uh, scrapped it. Uh, so right now it's at Paramount, but not as alienation, but as the original sci-fi show that he, that this individual saw it as. And that's where alienation stands today. Can you watch Alienation today, the old series, the series of the movies? Yes, you can. But sadly, you have to pay for it via Apple TV, Voodoo, or Amazon Video. And I, that's kind of depressing. So I'm hoping, you know, it, it's likely to wind up on Tubi or Plex or uh, Pluto or one of those networks before it heads on over to uh, Amazon, which is where a lot of older series are at. But that's where you can see it if you really want to see it. I actually just ordered the first book, you know. Uh, 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 when I got back to the man from Atlanta, so I was on Tubi, you know, six months, a year ago, I ordered books and I just finished reading the final second to last one and the books are bad too. <laughs> like I said, it's not always wise to go back to childhood uh, 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 fantasies of shows you love. It really brings you back down to earth. So, especially Ultraman, oh, those are the worst, you know, but as a kid, I loved them. So, Again, Apple TV, Voodoo, or Amazon Video. And there you have it, my friends. That is our show. You know, She-Hulk, bad television being canceled is good. Gary Graham, rest in peace, much love as you have begun your next journey. One that we all will eventually be on as well. And thank you for being part of Alienation, the series. It helped shape who I am in terms of how we see one another in this world from a humanity perspective and not from the tribalistic hate we see being pushed and used for political purposes and for power into which oneself that charlatans and grifters use. You showed us our human nature in a way that we should all see and look at to become better people towards one another. And for that, I thank you. And again, my friends, do not forget, you can catch this podcast, Red, White, and Rude, at Grumblings Media, as well as YouTube and Rumble under the profile, Grumblings Media, as well as traditional outlets, Spotify, Pandora, Google, and Apple. My friends, until next time, thank you for watching. Please share. Please follow us. And until next time, I bid you adieu.